He was acting like a dinosaur. And I didn't understand it. I was a sophomore in college, was a camp counselor at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp at Asbury College. And I was a new believer. I had begun studying theology, had begun to sink my teeth into the riches of doctrine. And as my knowledge grew, so did my pride. As camp came to a close, thousands of teenagers were coming out of the auditorium at Asbury College. And I saw the camp leader, the executive director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, hunched over, acting like a dinosaur. And I approached him to see what is he doing. And I thought to myself, why are you doing this? You're the leader here. How can you act in such a way? And as I approached, I saw on the other side of him a little boy holding on to a walker and with tears streaming down his face, laughing hysterically. The Holy Spirit convicted me right there. And it hit me, this is exactly what Jesus would do. He would wade through the thousands to find a special needs little boy and show him love. And it was in that moment I repented and I prayed and said, God, would you help me to love people the way that you do, especially kids? For that is what we see Jesus doing in Mark chapter 10. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, I do want to take just a moment and thank the three teenagers who did a phenomenal job last week of impersonating me. I have not laughed that hard in a long time. And so for Morgan and Harris and Seth, thank you so much. I'm now very (laughs) self-conscious. We're jumping back into this great gospel, the gospel of Mark in a sermon series called On the Move. We're calling it On the Move because it's fast-paced. More than 43 times, Mark uses the word immediately. Oftentimes, we see Jesus going from one uh, activity, one healing, one miracle, one teaching, and immediately he moves on to the next. It's fast-paced. It's hard-hitting. It's almost as if someone's following Jesus around with an iPhone, and they're videoing him, and then Mark records it. So it's a fast-paced, moving book. We see Jesus on the move. But did you know that Jesus is not only on the move in the Gospel of Mark, he's on the move today. One of the things we want to do as a church is we want to encourage you to share stories with our church of how Jesus is on the move in your life. What I want to encourage you to do is I want you to take time to testify of how Jesus is on the move in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your ministry, at your workplace, on the ball team. If you go to our website, gowestwood.org forward slash story, we want to encourage you to tell a story of how Jesus is at work. We're going to take these stories, we're going to review them, and then we will post them on our website so that we as a church can encourage one another and see how Jesus is on the move in each of our lives. So I want to encourage you to take time to do that this week. Just take some time to testify of God's goodness and kindness towards you and in your life. 
we see in Mark chapter 10 that there's a pivot that has taken place in Jesus' life and ministry. In chapters 1 through 9, Mark primarily focuses on Jesus' ministry up north around the Sea of Galilee. But then end of chapter 9, beginning of verse 10, Jesus then heads south. So the gospel is divided into two halves geographically. Chapters 1 through 9 in the north, chapters 10 through 16 in the south. Now in chapter 10, he's in Judea. He's right there around the Jerusalem area, but he's not gone into the city just yet. That'll take place in chapter 11, verse 1. But what's happening here in chapter 10, Jesus is on the east side of the Jordan River, which is the modern-day nation of Jordan. And he is there, and we saw last time we were in the text that he was teaching on divorce and remarriage to Pharisees. We then see, as he transitions out of that, we see people who are bringing kids to Jesus. And I want you to see what happens here in the text. Look with me at Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. God has a special place in his heart for kids. Young children have not yet learned how to put on the facade of self-righteousness or trust in their own self-sufficiency. Kids are dependent. They are needy. They are trusting. All characteristics of what God is looking for in the hearts of people. I want you to notice this morning in the text the heart that Jesus has for kids. I want you to see first, number one, that kids are beloved by Jesus. Kids are beloved by Jesus. Children are being brought to Jesus, we see here in the text, verse 13, so that Jesus might touch them, but he might bless them. But instead of welcoming them, the disciples saw themselves as Jesus' handlers, as if they were a secret service security force in which no way should anyone mess up the master. No one should interrupt him. He's busy teaching and healing and dunking on the Pharisees. We don't need anybody messing up what he's doing. Now, it's important to note that in the first century culture, kids did not have high value in society. They were nuisances to be tolerated and not gifts to be received. And these kids, as they're approaching Jesus, the disciples stiff-arm them. They give them the Heisman. They keep them from getting close to Jesus. But notice how Jesus responded, verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. That word doesn't just mean angry. In the original language, it has a prefix meaning much or great. So in, in essence, the word indignant means he was big angry. Jesus was ticked that his disciples were preventing these kids from coming to him. You see, the disciples had already forgotten what Jesus had already taught earlier back in chapter 9, verse 37, when he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You see, God loves kids. Now, he does not take kindly to those who prevent kids from coming to him. 
For it was days earlier that Jesus had a child stand right there in the center of a huddle. And Jesus says in Mark 9, 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Want to make Jesus angry? Prevent a kid from coming to him. Jesus is very angry, verse 14, with his disciples. But you see, you and I, we could be in danger of doing the same thing. If we're not careful, we too can be a hindrance or a stumbling block from children coming to Jesus. Well, Kenneth, what do you mean? I put this in your notes. There's four common ways that I have seen where we have prevented kids from coming to Jesus. Let me list them all for you. The first is this. One way you can prevent a kid from coming to Jesus is to criticize the church. I've seen it over and over again. When parents speak negatively about another Christian, about a pastor, about a church, the kids do the same thing. Parents, your kids are listening. They are listening to what you say and how you say it. It matters how you speak, for your kids will follow your lead. You see, your criticism not only discredits God's people, it undermines God's work, and it ultimately, it will undercut and hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in you and in them. The second way I've seen it is talk one way and act another. Parents, you can fool a lot of people. You can't fool your kids. They watch and see how you act and when you're around believers and when you're not around believers. And so parents, hear me on this. If you're living a hypocritical life, you're gonna give an account for it one day. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our lives. Make it your aim that your life and your lips match. Make it your aim that the way that you live and the way that you speak look the same. One of the things I've told my children is that if they ever see dad acting in a way that doesn't look like Jesus, they have the freedom to come and tell me. Now, the two rules I have around that is that they need to do it respectfully and they need to do it in private. But I want to invite those who know me the best and love me the most to know that they can have access. So if they see things in my life that don't look like Christ, they can throw a flag. They can call me on it and say, dad, that didn't look like Jesus. Parents, I want to encourage you, do the same. Invite your children to examine your life and say, listen, if you see areas in mom's life, areas of dad's life that don't look like Christ, you have freedom to come and tell me. I want to know. I want to look more and more like Jesus. And so you have that freedom to approach me, but do it in private and do it respectfully. You see, if you find yourself as one who's living hypocritically, if you find yourself acting one way and saying another, would today you repent and say, Lord, I'm not going to go this way anymore. I want my lips and my my life to match. I want to look like Christ. Third way you can prevent a child from coming to Jesus is to make fun of them. Parents, fathers in particular, have the power to build up and to tear down with their words. You can speak words of life, you can shape a child with your words, or you can absolutely destroy them with your words. When your child is taking steps towards the Lord, you celebrate it. 
you get excited, you, you affirm, you fan into flame what God is doing in their hearts. Remember when a child is a toddler and their head's too big and they wobble and they take their first steps and they fall down? Do you criticize them? No, you're like, oh, I love the effort, way to go. Let's try it again. I'm so proud of you. Let's try this again. Get back up. And you celebrate the effort. Well, in light of God's glory and holiness and perfection, our acts of obedience are just like that of a toddler. Our meager efforts pale in comparison to his glory. And yet the Lord sees our efforts. The Lord sees our acts of obedience and says, yes, I love the effort. Let's get back up. Let's try it again. So too are we to be the same with our children, to be extending the gospel of grace, rooting them on, not mocking them or making fun of them, but we affirm and celebrate the work of the Spirit taking place in their heart. The fourth way that we can prevent children from coming to Jesus is to make church optional. Parents, you set the tone of the spiritual temperature in your home. Your priorities reveal what is important. If you're continually missing church to go to ball games or these vacations or sleeping in or the thousands of other choices that you have before you every Lord's Day, you're teaching your children what the true priority is. And I've seen it time and time and time again. When you put off making church a priority, I've seen teenager after teenager after teenager walk away from the faith. Because if it's not important to mom and dad, then why in the world should it be important to me? See, mom and dad, you set the priority for your family, not your kids. Your teenager does not set the priority for the family. You do. God has entrusted you to lead and shepherd your family. He's placed you in that position of leadership, and so you lead. You say, listen, this is a priority for us. This is important for us. Why? Because Jesus says it's important for us. Not neglecting the gathering together, being faithful in our gathering. Why? Because my soul and your soul, we need Christ, and the way that we see and experience more of Christ is through his church. It's through his people. This is God's means of connecting us with Jesus. You see, the church is God's chosen vehicle that is designed to drive people to Jesus. And so as a faith family, as we continually lift up Jesus, as we continually point to Jesus in our small groups, in our discipleship groups, in our preaching, in our praying, in our singing, in our hallway conversations, God is taking these means of growing us in the faith, of trusting in Christ more, of loving him more, of treasuring him more. And this is what we do together as a faith family. I want you to see in the text that kids are beloved by Jesus. May you and I continually make it our mission to let every child know they are loved by the king. Secondly, what we see here in the text is that kids are beckoned by Jesus. Jesus gives a two-part command in verse 14. It's positive and it's negative. Let the children come to me. Don't you dare stop them. Jesus rebukes his disciples for running a prevent defense against these little ones. Don't you just love that? Jesus is not some rock star who's unapproachable by his followers. 
Jesus isn't like a president who's hiding behind the secret service or who's inaccessible. Jesus is not some athlete who refuses to sign autographs for a kid. He's approachable. Jesus is the one in which you can draw near to him. He invites the weak and the needy and the sick and the hated and the rejected and the forgotten to come to him. Jesus is a kid magnet, and kids want to be with Jesus. He listened to them. He cared for them. He engaged them. Here we see he beckoned them. You see, Jesus is the approachable king who opens wide his arms and invites everyone to come to him. God is accessible. He is the one who invites you to come to him. He invites you to draw near. You can come near to God because he first came near to you in Jesus. We who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. We love him because he first loved us. In the gospel, we see where God takes on human flesh. He draws near to become like us, and he draws sinful people to himself. We who have broken his law, we who have sinned against him, he breaks the power of sin through the cross. And he invites the whole world to draw near to him. You'd be thinking, but there's no way God can accept me. I've done some terrible things. I've said some terrible things. There is no way. Hear me on this. You are a perfect candidate for grace. You are exactly why Jesus came. Not because you're good and have it all together. It's because you're not good and you don't. He is the one who is good. He is the one who draws near so that when you trust in him, when you bring him your sin, he washes you and cleanses you and he makes you whole. We just sang it together that we are righteous and blameless in his sight through the work of Christ. You see, God is glorified by lavishing his grace on sinners who come to Jesus by faith. It's against the backdrop of our sinfulness, of our selfishness, of our rebellion, that the glory of God's grace shines the brightest. And just as Jesus beckons little children to come to him, he beckons you to come to him With arms stretched out, he beckons you to come to him. When my kids were young, we were teaching them how to swim. And they used to put their toes on the edge of the pool and put their fingers in their mouth as they nervously looked into the water. But when I got into the water and extended my arms out and said, jump, they would jump with joy. Why? Because they could trust the one in whose arms they were going to. The reason children can so easily jump into the faith, they can jump into the arms of Jesus, it's because they can trust the one who reaches out his arm and says, come to me. You can trust him. And we see ultimately that Jesus beckons you with his arms stretched out wide at the cross. 
For it is there that he goes on record and says, let me show you how much I love you. I beckon you to come to me. Believe upon me. My arms are open wide. I'm yours for the taking. Today, would you come to Jesus? Would you cry out to him and say, Lord, I draw near? You see, what's so great about the faith of a child is that they don't need more calculations. They don't need more information. They don't need more explanations. They know that they can go straight into the arms of the one who is completely trustworthy. And the beauty of the gospel is that though we all were once helpless, all of us were at one point weak, we now, through Christ, are no longer spiritual orphans. We're no longer dead in our sins and trespasses. But the kindness of God appeared in Jesus. And when we heard the good news of the gospel, when we heard of a, the son who died on the cross for us, the one who extends his arms out to us. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. Come to me, all who are hungry, and I am your bread of life. Come to me, all who have sinned, and I will forgive you. Today, Jesus beckons you, come to me. Come to Jesus. He will receive you. But Kenneth, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but God does. And he says, I know, I love you, come on. I will fix you. I will heal you through the cross of my son. For this Savior gave his life on Calvary for me and you. And he rose again on the third day, victorious over the grave. So that now, now all who come to him with childlike faith, all who come to him with a childlike dependence, he receives us and we are accepted by God in Christ. You see, just as Jesus opens his arms and beckons kids to come at the cross, Jesus opens his arms and he beckons the world to come. Come to Jesus. He invites you. You will be accepted and not rejected. You are loved and not hated. You are treasured and not despised by the Savior who shows you his love perfectly at the cross. But Westwood, for us as a faith family, just as Jesus opened up his arms and beckons kids to himself, so too must we. We must continually be a faith family that opens up our arms and we tell people, get in here. You can be a part of this. The gospel is for kids, it's for teenagers, it's for college students and single moms and senior adults and everybody in between. The gospel is open. Let's make sure that's us as a faith family. Okay, this is why I don't mind when if kids are in here and they're screaming because I'm like, man, I got some competition. Like, let's have some fun in here, Right? Or when kids are running around, like, listen, it doesn't bother me at all. If they tear up the carpet, we'll put new carpet down. Okay? If, if they tear up a wall, we'll paint it. Okay? Westwood exists to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. The Great Commission is our path forward. And so let's make sure that we're not ever seeking to build this great, beautiful edifice. We're about people. Investing in kids who will impact their world for Jesus. We're a people that say, listen, get in here. Hear me on this. It matters how you treat and love on kids. 
For some of you who teach with our children in preschool, help out with VBS and all of the things that we do, whether it's your investment in teenagers, a Disciple Now weekend, or discipling on the weekends, or developing these retreats, or whatever it is that you're involved in, let's be a place and say, listen, you belong here, you're included, and we beckon you, get in here. Everybody can get in on this. Jesus died so that all can be welcome through him. We see thirdly in the text that kids belong to Jesus' kingdom. In verse 14, it says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Why does Jesus command the disciples to let the kids through? He tells us in verse 14, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You see, little children were not considered old enough to understand and obey the law. Well, as we see here with Jesus, he says the kingdom belongs to kids. So now, don't miss this, entry into the kingdom It's not about keeping the law. It's about humble dependence upon Jesus. Don't miss this. The kingdom of God is not earned. It's received. That's what Jesus says in verse 15. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You see, in order to get into the kingdom, we have to have a childlike dependence. You must see yourself as weak as helpless, as needy, as dependent before you can come into the kingdom. You see, the danger that you and I face as we get older is we become self-sufficient, self-reliant. We could begin to say things like, I got this. Ooh, that's dangerous. You see, you cannot trust Jesus and yourself. Either you're trusting in your goodness or in his. You're trusting in his strength or in yours. You're trusting in your worth or his. You see, children know that they don't have a religious resume to boast in. You see, becoming childlike, it requires humility. You see, people in the kingdom of Christ understand that they don't deserve to be there. You must receive the kingdom like a little child or you will never enter it. You must see yourself as childlike and dependent and in desperate need of Jesus or you will never have access. Question, are you trusting in Jesus with a childlike faith and trust? Do you find your heart longing to climb up into the lap of your heavenly father and to lay your head upon his benevolent chest? Or do you find yourself too good for that? I make no mistake, yes. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18. Yes, we are to Hebrews 6.1 to mature on past the elementary teachings of Jesus. Absolutely. But maturity in the faith does not mean that you stop becoming childlike. You keep, you maintain your childlike wonder of Jesus. There's a childlike curiosity of wanting to know him and know what he's like eager to sit in the lap of God and just to lean your your head upon his benevolent heart and to hear him and to just be with him. You see, there's also a truth here in this text that I do want to take a moment to underscore and spend some time on because this is a, a wonderful truth that brings comfort to such deep and agonizing pain. I'll put this in your notes. 
all babies and young children who die are safe in the arms of Jesus. Few things in life are more tragic and heartbreaking than losing a child. For us as a faith family, there have been several families who have lost a child for various reasons and at various ages. And yet our good and faithful God, he provides us comfort through his word that the reality that all babies and children who die are freely and graciously received by Jesus in heaven. Now these children who die, they, they are not innocent. Um, Paul, uh, David says in Psalm 51 verse 5, uh, I was guilty when I was born. Um, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So the, the effect of original sin of Adam grabbed hold of these children, thus death. But the grace of Jesus Christ paid for their sins at the cross. They are safe in the arms of God. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when the baby of David and Bathsheba dies, David says, he has gone away from me, yet I will go to him. There was a confidence with David that he would see that child again. We even see it here in the text where Jesus invites children, young kids, to come to him is that we have a good and faithful God that even in the midst of terrible heartbreak of losing a child, the Lord says they are safe with me. In the Old Testament, God sentenced the generation that had rebelled against him at Kadesh Barnea to die in the wilderness after 40 years of wandering. Deuteronomy 1 verse 35 says, not one of these men in this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. But this was not all. God specifically exempted young children and infants from this sentence of judgment. Deuteronomy 1.39 says, Your children, who you said would be plunder, your sons, who don't, watch this, yet know good from evil, will enter there. I will give them the land, and they will take possession of it. God exempted from judgment those who, verse 39, have no knowledge of good and evil. Judgment does not fall on those who have the inability to choose right from wrong. The work of Christ on the cross removes the stain of original sin from babies and children who die. Knowing neither evil nor good, not knowing right nor wrong, they are safe in the arms of Jesus. Every child who dies, whether it's because of sickness, an accident, miscarriage, abortion, or any other means, your baby is safe and secure with Jesus. If you have lost a child, take comfort in knowing that your child is safe. If you have lost a child and you do not know Jesus, your child beckons you to trust in Christ. If you want to see that child again, you need to put your faith in Jesus. Today, repent, turn from your sin, and trust in Christ who died for your sin who rose again on the third day, offering you eternal life when you turn and trust and believe the gospel. Today, your child is safe with Jesus. Trust in Christ. And God is so kind and merciful in which there will be a great day of reunion. 
in celebration with that child. Heaven is filled with babies and children who never grew to maturity on earth, but in heaven will one day greet us, completed in Christ. And oh, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. There's comfort in the truth of God's word. Fourthly, I want you to see in the text that kids are blessed by Jesus. Verse 16, after taking them in his arms, Jesus laid his hands on them and blessed them. This is the heart of God. He wants to bless, nurture, and care for children. And ultimately, we see the the greatest blessing of all of Jesus that he gives is through the cross. That it's through his death for our sin and for the sins of the world, he provides blessing for those who trust in him. So Kenneth, what are, you, what are you calling us to do? Well, it's the impact point, it's this. Lavish the grace and love of Jesus on kids in your world. Lavish them with the grace and the love of Christ. The children whom God has placed in your life, would you show, overwhelm them with the love and the grace of Jesus? Sometimes it may mean like being hunched over and acting like a dinosaur. Ultimately, it means pointing the little ones around us to the king who displays his perfect love by giving his life so that all who become like little children and trust in him will be rescued, redeemed, cared for. We have a home, a father in heaven, a permanent citizenship, an inheritance to come, an adoption that's been sealed with blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.